Okay, so I am finally back after a bit too long um, because I've been really busy for the past few weeks, but I'm finally back. And today, I guess we'll start off with a little bit of macro. Um, and, and the reason why I want to go into macro is because you know, I feel like macro right now is more important in terms of how you invest, or even in terms of how you analyze the whole political economy than it has been probably since the Great Depression. And that goes back to 1930s, 1929, and I mean, 90 years that is. So that's a long time. And here's, you know, a lot of people, uh, are talking about long-term debt cycle. And what that's all about is when, you know, an economy gets so indebted that it starts to see some really big troubles. You know, its currency starts to be challenged. Its debts, you know, people wonder, well, you know, what's going to happen with the debt? How do we get out of this huge financial trouble? So I think macro right now, is you know at some very very important time, whether it's personal finance or just investing in general, I think it's more important than it has been in a very 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 long time. And you know, before the dot com bubble, before two thousand and one, macro wasn't that important. Now you know in the nineteen seventies you had stagflation, but still. You know, in the 19, uh, I guess, 1980s, you had some trouble. But before, before 2000, you know, macro wasn't really important. Um, it was more so about just picking the right companies, with good fundamentals. And then, you know, because central banks weren't doing much. They were changing interest rates here and there. But they weren't doing, you know, they weren't doing anything like what we're doing now you know, providing huge amounts of liquidity. And of course, we're delivering all this fiscal stimulus as well that we've never really done in the past. And so that's when the whole macroeconomic situation becomes more and more important. And you have to kind of know what governments will do, which you can't know for sure, but you have to kind of set a, set a ground basis or you know, what central banks around the world will do, what the governments will do, how they'll go for spending money. You know, is it, are they going to tax people? Are they going to redistribute the wealth? How are we getting out of this situation here? And you know, what we've been doing so far is just keep on lowering interest rates. And I want to take some of the things that I've talked to before, add some new things as well this time, and uh, dive a little deeper into it. I want to make more episodes nowadays, and I want to make them shorter. Uh, <laughs> maybe I've said that before, but uh, now that I'm not as busy, I can make more of these. And so right now, the Bank of America just came out here and said that interest rates are at a 5,000-year low. Now, I don't even know how you go back 5,000 years and calculate interest rates because that's, you know, that's a hell of a task to do. I mean, how do you know 
what was happening 5,000 years ago with interest rates. I don't know. But the point is when interest rates are at 5,000 year lows, and I don't know where they're talking, like, you know, you have different interest rates in different places. Are you talking about American interest rates are at 5,000 year lows, global interest rates? I don't know exactly for sure. I didn't look too deep into it. I don't think they said anyways, but you know, 5,000 year low interest rates is not something normal. And so where do we go from here? And here's the thing though, interest rates are basically at zero. I mean, how much lower can they go? They can't really go much lower. Now, long-term interest rates you know, have been climbing a little bit since the pandemic. Uh, they've still fallen from a few, few months ago, but still, I mean, they, they, long-term interest rates can afford to go a bit lower, but even that is not much. I mean, you can go down 1% maybe before you're, you're, you're at zero, right? You can go a bit, un, a bit over 1% uh, lower until you're at 0%. But here's the thing, what happens when you hit the zero? Because a recession is going to come in the future. Now, we've had just crazy economic growth here uh, in the U.S., especially uh, in the past few quarters, you know, and, and the economy is way higher, the GDP is way higher uh, than it was before the coronavirus came. And, you know, a lot of that is because of all this fiscal spending, which which I guess doesn't really, you shouldn't count that into GDP because it's not uh, efficient at all. It's, I mean, that's just taxing. I mean, you're just taxing. And, you know, people are saving more money. There's more money out in the system too. So, you know, GDP is one thing, but another thing is there's a lot more debt out there. And here's the thing. The, I think a lot of the GDP increases and you're seeing a lot of corporate earnings increase. I think a lot of that is because of all of the fiscal stimulus that we've given in the past. And so, you know, once you approach the situation where the fiscal you know, stimulus runs out, question is, where do you go from there? Because, you know, once you have no more fiscal support, well, people will stop spending as much and, corporations don't earn as much, obviously. And when that happens, everything starts crashing because people, I mean, look, you can get them to spend, but you can't get them to spend forever, right? As long as you know, people have debts and once you reach a certain point, it becomes harder and harder to pay. And you don't wanna accumulate more debt because I think to some degree people are reasonable and they don't want to accumulate so much debt that they can never repay off. And especially once the mortgages stop growing, well, what happens then? Well, you know, you get this wealth effect where you think you're rich because your house is worth crazy amounts of money. And then your house starts to fall in price, which we're kind of getting now. And so, what you're going to see is, well, people thought they were, they had a net worth of a million dollars and all of this, all of a sudden, you know, now they're worth a hundred thousand dollars less. And they think, okay, well, I, I'm not going to spend as much money. So you might get some of that too. And what ends up happening from that is, okay, well, 
guess what? You could get a recession. Now, I don't know if it's going to be sometime soon and you have to define the word soon as well, which is another difficult task to do because well, no one knows when anything is going to happen. That's, that's the uh, problem everybody faces when you try to make investments. But anyways, if you get a recession, let's say two to three years, and we still don't hike interest rates because, I mean, Powell pretty much says last meeting, interest rates aren't moving anywhere. And uh, so we're going to kind of expect interest rates to make, you know, the Fed might start tapering in 2023. But what does tapering mean exactly? You know, that's a question that uh, it's also difficult to answer because, you know, does tapering mean that we stop buying as many assets? Okay, so do we slow down treasury buying? Or do we you know, stop buying them completely? Or do we start doing QT? Do we start selling treasuries? Like purposefully letting interest rates rise instead of just letting them fall at a slower rate? I mean, or, or how, how what, what does tapering exactly mean? So, you know, that's another thing. And the thing is, if we get a recession, let's say 2025, because we've uh, had uh, recessions before that came in, twice. So around the 1980s, two recessions, it kind of followed up pretty closely there. And you have to, you know, ask, well, once, once interest rates hit the zero mark, um, and I, I guess you could say, let's say the Fed funds hits the zero, you know, where do you go with short-term interest rates? Can you go lower? And, you know, Powell says, at least they're not considering interest, uh, negative interest rates last time, but next time, and we don't know what's gonna happen with the Delta variant. You know, a lot of people are pessimistic. A lot of people are optimistic. I don't know what exactly is gonna happen, but you know, that's always another thing you have to watch out for. But even on top of that, you know, where, even if we get a recession that has nothing to do with what COVID has to offer, which is nothing good other than fiscal stimulus, you know, if we get another recession, well then the, 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 the main tool, the original tool of the Federal Reserve becomes useless. You can't use it anymore. There's nothing you can do with it anymore um, because its original tool was, you know, you kind of have this lever and you pull it up or pull it down, interest rates go up, interest rates go down. You think the economy is growing too fast. And that time you low or you raise interest rates, you think the economy is too slow. You think you're in a recession, you start to uh, lower the interest rates, pull them down. Now <laughs> you can't raise them obviously, because well, we're not doing that until 2023. And if even if we do that, well, is that going to cause some economic turndown? Who knows? But we, we certainly can't really lower it anymore because, well, we, you know, are we going down to below zero? 
Because here's the thing with the Fed funds. The Fed funds is just how, it's just the rate of bank lending to each other. And I mean, I don't think banks are dumb enough to lend at negative rates. So, I mean, what can the Fed do with Fed funds? And, and here's the thing. I mean, are, are, they going, are they going to let long-term interest rates go negative? I don't think that would make any sense. But even, even if you're talking about short-term interest rates, uh, let's say the rates on T-bills, for example, and, and not Fed funds, you have to ask, well, okay, well, what are the foreigners going to do? Even? You know, that's one question. And there's a lot more questions that come along, but that's, you know, that's one of the first things that I think of. Because, you know, most of the U.S., debt is denominated in short-term U.S. treasuries, uh, T-bills. And so, I mean, if if you're charging people to hold on to your treasuries, who will hold on to your treasuries? I mean, they just, they wanted the next best alternative, which is an even better alternative. They take cash, right? They take U.S. dollars. Now, is that good for the U.S. dollars that you're, you know, I, I maybe someone's going to make the argument that, you know, since everyone gets out of T-bills, everyone w- will want dollars and that's good for the U.S. dollar somehow. Um, I don't think that's how it would work. <laughs> but, but, you know, anyways. Anyways. So, I mean, if you make uh, rates go negative, even at a rate of what you see on treasuries. So you're not talking about long-term, you're not talking about five-year, 10-year treasuries, just T-bills, three month, one month. If you make these negative, well then who's going to hold US debt? All of the foreigners are going to probably drop their US treasuries because there's no point in holding them. But even if you get, rates near zero, right? And I've talked about this before, even if you get them to negative somehow, um, you're going to have trouble letting banks lend to consumers or businesses. So you'll get a ton of liquidity. If you go negative interest rates, you'll get a ton of liquidity in the whole uh, banking system, but you won't get any liquidity anywhere else, right? If you're just doing QE, if you're just doing, you know, if you're just cranking your Fed funds rate and uh, you somehow break the lever and now you're just throwing it in the air or something. If you go negative, banks can have as much liquidity as they need, as they want, but, problem is, well, first of all, there's going to be pretty much no collateral left. Um, well, not, not actually, but, you know, you're, the Fed's going to be taking all the collateral and, you know, why would the banks want to give the collateral to the Fed? And, you know, why would anybody want to? And, and maybe the reason would be, well, there's a negative interest rate, but, you know, there's going to be so much, the banks are going to have so much liquidity that it's not even going to be useful to them. And of course, you're not going to get the banks to lend at negative interest rates. 
Now, I, I see two, two exceptions to this. Uh, one thing that the Fed can do and one thing that the government has to do, and you could say, you know, these you know, Fed, government, same thing, but technically speaking, they're still, kind of, they have different powers. But so one thing I see the government being able to do is, well, I'm just gonna subsidize banks to lend at 0% or a percent so close to zero that the whole default risk isn't worth it, right? And there has to be uh, you know, a large enough subsidy from the government. And the second option is uh, if the Fed directly lends to individuals and companies, I guess that's the part of the whole a central bank digital currency topic. You know, the Fed says they don't want to do it so far, but in times of crises, that's when big decisions are made. In 2020, we've done things that we've never thought we would ever possibly think of doing before. You know, we were giving out stimulus checks. We're uh, going out here and, and, and locking everybody down who are, are are uh, healthy and we, we've never done th things like this before. And, you know, especially in times where people are fearful, uh, people are really worried, they want power to be concentrated, they want order, they want their government to do anything they can to try to help them, which usually sometimes works and usually doesn't. Um, and so, you know, even some things that are slightly extreme, and a central bank digital currency isn't that extreme. It's, you know, China's coming up with it. I think they want to release it. Uh, before the, the, the Winter Olympics, um, and, you know, I, you see a lot of other little countries coming up with it as well. And so maybe the central banks are going to directly lend to to you know, individuals and businesses. Now, again, here's the thing with the negative interest rate thing. It, it, it's not, you can't lend at zero or at negative interest rates. You know, it doesn't matter who's lending. It doesn't matter whether banks are lending or the central bank is lending because here's the problem with negative interest rates or 0%. You're going to be creating an infinite amount of money as an individual, you're going to have that power. Because think of it, uh, you know, when banks create loans, they create them basically out of thin air. They, they write, uh, you know, it's kind of just an accounting gimmick. Um, they, they, they just debit your account. And now you've got all of this money. You know, of course, they also have, have to add a liability to their own balance sheet so that they're not you know, creating money out of thin air for themselves. But they are for, but you know, when you take, uh, when, you, when you take out a loan, you're creating money. When you pay that loan back, you're, let's say, burning money from the money supply. That, that, that money does not exist. You're reducing the money supply. But here's the thing, if rates are going to be at zero or negative, well, first of all, people are going to borrow as much as they possibly can. And there's technically gonna be no uh, 
default risk because you're not even paying back, you know, interest. Like you have to pay back the principal, but, you know, I guess there's a default risk there. But if you just keep on rolling over your debt, then it doesn't matter. And so people are going to borrow as much as they possibly can. And, and that just creates money out of thin air, right? It's, it's you, you know, if you're borrowing from a central bank, that's even more obvious because, you know, central bank, they don't even need to play this accounting game. They could just print all the money out of thin air. And that's, that's, you know, obviously that's hyperinflationary if everybody has their own printing press. And so, I mean, you could try to regulate the whole system where, you know, maybe you can only borrow so much money relative to maybe your income or relative to uh, your, I guess, your total asset value, net asset value of all of your assets. Um, I guess you could do something like that, but of course, I, I don't think that that's necessarily going to work. It's going to be kind of difficult to not have because you know I know Wall Street does a ton of these little a ton of these little games with all of these financial derivatives and all of these uh, random investment tools. And I, I see a lot of danger in something where you could grant everybody with a, with a controlled money printer where you could borrow at zero or borrow at negative rates. So I don't think that if we try to stimulate, unless if we move into the zero and negative interest rate territory, for Main Street, unless if we do that, I think there's only one clear way to stimulate, and that's with fiscal deficits, large fiscal spending. And that's the more obvious way left because you know the whole negative borrowing rates, that's not uh, that seems like it invites a lot more trouble. It seems like it's very, very, very difficult to do. Um, whereas if you just spend more money, the government spends more, the Fed monetizes more of its debt. That seems like an easier way to stimulate the economy without doing something revolutionary where, where, where people are just borrowing at no cost. They're being paid to borrow money. And that doesn't make too much sense anyways. So when once you go into the whole uh fiscal stimulus side well then then you have kind of a different story now because you know what you you go from changing how people how much uh, i guess how much people can borrow and how much it costs for everybody to borrow to now the government deciding where money is spent and remember all of government spending is taxation and so you went from a system where interest rates were centrally planned, but everything else is kind of, you know, well, I don't want to say everything else, but let's just let's just pretend everything else is um, free market, and, and you're going to a system where you now both interest rates and I guess your your 
where money is being spent, they're both, you know, centrally planned. And that's obviously going to add a lot more uh, burdens to your economy. Your economy is going to be a lot less effective, a lot less efficient. You're going to get some deflationary pressures from that, but you're also going to get way more inflationary pressures from that because you're not taxing directly. And of course, you monetize with debt, well, what you do is governments get, get more debt and that debt is newly created money supply until it gets paid back, which it doesn't look like it's ever going to be paid back if you look at the history of you know, the, the, the government debt, the federal debt. So you know, it doesn't seem like that's um, ever going to get paid back. But the, the next part that, you, that you'll get into when, when that starts to happen is you know, the whole world right now, again, that threatens the whole US dollars reserve status because the only reason why the US got the reserve status is because you had, for, first of all, you had trade surplus, you had a uh, great economy, but if you move into a, uh, an economy where you're running all of these fiscal deficits, and I mean, of course, undoubtedly, the US has a lot of trade deficits. Once you have all of those, and you have a massive debt and, and crazy low interest rates, well, then your the, the reserve status of your currency gets kind of, you know, wishy-washy. And it's like, is this where you want to go? And, you know, China's uh, coming up with the digital yuan and, and, and people are asking, well, are these two going to compete? The U.S. dollar, the digital uh, Chinese central bank currency. So there's a lot of competing forces out there. And of course, um, some people point to uh, precious metals and to Bitcoin. Although, you know, some people say that uh, central bank digital currencies will replace Bitcoin, but I, I don't think these two are really direct competitors. I don't seem to uh, like any of these ideas, but I don't, I don't think these two compete directly. There's just, I mean, Bitcoin is supposed to be digital gold and central bank digital currency is just supposed to be digital money that's issued by the central bank. Now, maybe they can choose what you buy with, you know, the, the, the different, you know, maybe the central banks can issue like, kind of like different types of, currencies from the same central bank, but, you know, you can only use different types of currencies to buy certain things. I don't know, some people are talking about that, um, but these two are not directly competing for the same cause, Bitcoin and central bank digital currencies. So I don't think these two have anything really to compete with other than the fact that they're digital, which has nothing to do with anything because right now money in your bank account is digital. <laughs> so I don't, I don't see the argument there, but you know, one thing I do see is I, I, I just, uh, you know, some people uh, are kind of questioning, well, 
the way we handled uh, the recession, well, not we, but the way the U.S. handled the recession in 2008, um, how was it? I mean, it was obviously a lot smaller than it was now. But at the same time, you know, back in 2008, I think it was a pretty much a genius short-term plan. It was such a smart short-term plan that, that you know, it's it, it, such a smart short-term plan, such a smart plan. But, you know, as for the long-term, there's a lot of things I don't like about, um, of course, monetary stimulus. In 2008, there wasn't that much fiscal stimulus. I mean, uh, there was the Wall Street bailout and then all these Occupy Wall Street guys. But, you know, overall, the, the, the whole, but even then, a lot of people thought there was going to be inflation. There was QE. That was a new thing. Everyone thought we we're printing a ton of money and we're going to get a lot of inflation. We didn't. And, uh, well, so we did have a commodity boom, though. We, you know, the markets crashed, a ton of derivatives games played uh, before that. But, you know, with, as for uh, the, the monetary reaction there, the short-term reaction was incredible. Now, it was kind of a way to delay the pain. It kind of uh, distorted the market a little bit, but I mean, QE was such a brilliant thing to enact in 2008, at least as, uh, as part of a short-term plan because you know, it lowered the long-term interest rates. And in 2008, the, the Americans had a huge problem with the whole mortgage market. And if you think about the mortgage market, well, that has to do with long-term interest rates. So before 2008, all the Fed could do was just move around the Fed funds rate. So it was moving around the Fed funds rate, but I mean, what exactly does that do? I mean, you know, that's good for short-term bank lending and, and banks lend or banks borrow short-term and they lend long-term, but you know, you're not directly, I guess you're indirectly lowering the long-term interest rate by lowering the Fed funds rate, but you're not directly lowering the long-term interest rates by lowering the Fed funds rate. So, so these guys come up with QE, directly lower long-term interest rates. And you know, another problem with uh, in 2008 was that banks were low on liquidity, which is you know obviously a problem. But what banks have done, uh, or sorry, what the central banks have done, at least the Fed in 2008, was they provided QE. And QE, you know, you create a ton of these things called bank reserves, and that adds to bank liquidity. So, you know, if, say, a bank gets too low on money and it, and, um, it has a good chance of, let's say, going bankrupt. Well, then these bank reserves help a lot for the banks. Now they can't spend it to buy assets. They can't buy couches or groceries with bank reserves. Uh, but they, you know, they, they, they're kind of like a savings account at the Fed. So in case if, you know, I guess some emergency, you could use it. Uh, 
to maybe, let's say, uh, uh, a borrower or someone, someone you, you, uh, someone that's lending to you and need their money back, I suppose you could just use your money at the Fed, which is a bank reserve, to pay back whoever lent you the money. So, you know, I think the reaction of 2008 was a brilliant reaction from the Fed. Great in the short term, not so great in the long term. I mean, it's a another plan to delay the pain. And that's why you have these long-term debt cycles. You know, you wouldn't really have these long-term debt cycles if central banks, if politicians, if governments cared about dealing with your problems today instead of delaying them. And delaying them is what creates these long-term debt cycles, which are the really detrimental you know, depressions and recessions in the 1930s was one of them. And, you know, are we moving into one of these things? I think there's a good chance we are. When, nobody knows, but you look at the debt, you look at the deficits, uh, you look at trade deficits, you look at interest rates, you look at where currencies are and where they could be going it's hard to see that you don't have one of these big, big, you know, long-term debt cycles coming, you know, whether it's one decade, whether it's two decades, it should be, I guess, inevitable. The question is, well, how are we gonna get out of this? Are we going to get out of it through inflation or deflation? And that's another difficult question that no one knows for sure. But you know, you could get a little bit of clues in history and, and what policymakers are saying and uh, what they've been doing. Of course, that matters a lot. And uh, from what they've been doing, um, it seems like, well, you know, political expediency is definitely their top virtue could or could be bad for the economy, most likely bad. But anyways, uh, this uh, episode was a bit longer than I wanted most other episodes to be, but I'll try to make a bit sh shorter ones more frequently in the future. And uh, that is all for today.